Welcome to Vision, the Home Care Leaders podcast. I'm Miriam Allred with Home Care Pulse, and I'll be today's host. Today, I'm excited to chat with Jeff Weiberg, CEO of Family Resource Home Care. Jeff's been the CEO for over eight years now and oversees their 10 locations in Washington and Northern Idaho. Jeff also currently serves on the HCAOA National Board and is the liaison for the Washington chapter of the HCAOA. He's a well-known provider, speaker, and industry thought leader, and it's my pleasure to welcome him onto today's show. So how's everything going, Jeff? You know, uh, under the circumstances, Miriam, I would say that uh, we're doing very, very well. Awesome. Glad to hear it. Well, we're really glad to have you on today. You know, we've got a lot to dissect and a lot to talk about today, so let's get right to it. Today, we'll be talking about what operations and protocols your agency has adopted as a result of COVID. Then we'll talk about which of those adoptions has been most influential and why. And then to wrap it up, we'll talk about which adoptions we're making as an industry and which you believe will become mainstream post-crisis. So to get us started, Jeff, what has your agency done or been doing to cut costs during and throughout this crisis? Sure. Well, you know, as, as you probably are well aware, uh, Washington State was very early in in the whole evolution of, of the COVID-19 crisis here in the United States. And we had some of the first uh, official cases within the U.S. Uh, right in our own backyard and uh, um, just down the street, literally from some of our offices in the Puget Sound. Um, and so I, it's, it's almost like one of those um, scenarios where uh, I, I remember where I was when. And I, I remember being in an executive team meeting and having um, uh, my chief marketing officer who uh, came from us, uh, came to us from a health system uh, in the Puget Sound region who had been communicating with some of her friends saying that, boy, they're seeing this this uh, coronavirus uh, pop up and uh, it's it's starting to kind of catch some, some attention there at the hospital system. And that, boy, we ought to, we ought to uh, do some preparatory work. And uh, I, I have to confess, Miriam, that I was a little bit like, nah, uh, it, it may become a thing, but I don't know about that. And, uh, but uh, feel free to work on it. So I had her and, and our CM, our uh, chief human resource officer kind of work on some communication pieces. And little did I know that, boy, that, that was going to become a very real uh, concern very, very quickly. And so I was very grateful, and this is a lesson learned for me, very grateful that we were, that we had some cool heads on our team, even though I was not necessarily one of them. (laughs) We had some cool heads on the team who was, hey, you know, this could become something, let's get prepared. And the the way that we prepared started with communication pieces out to our our clients and our caregivers. And um, in fact, the the documents that uh, Sasha, our CMO, drafted, ended up becoming a template for um, what the HCAOA released to all of, all of the entire industry. So mm-hmm. we, we were definitely early on the process. Mm-hmm. Um, we, when, when this really started to take hold, which is less than a week later, we, we met as a team and we came out with a uh, cost-cutting protocol that we called um, level one, level two, level three. Mm-hmm. And we, we decided that it, we don't know how long this is going to be. We don't know how deep it, it will be. We don't know how uh, how we're going to be financially impacted at this point. I mean, actually, when we were meeting, 
um, at that point, we had uh, only one client go on hold. Wow. And so at this, at, at this juncture, we're talking uh, an impact of two hours to our schedule. Um, and so not, not very much impact, but nonetheless, we didn't know where this was going to go. And we had a lot of talking heads out there saying that, you know, ranging from this is nothing all the way to this is the end of the world. Um, and there was very little truly good data available to us as an organization or frankly, us as a country. Mm -hmm. And so uh, as a team, we said, okay, if this goes six months and we take, uh, a 40% dip, what are we gonna do? And we mapped out all of the possible cost-cutting measures that we could engage in as a company and categorize them based upon their impact to our ability to function, as well as the difficulty in which uh, they, they would be implemented. And all of our response level one, as we called it, were easy to implement and low impact. And so that was the that was the first stage that we would we would begin with and say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna tighten a few things up, but it'll it'll be the the low impact to our ability to sustain our culture, our model, et cetera. Um, but it would be easy to implement, and then it would move up from there. You know, it would, phase two would have involved uh, potential furloughs or a reduction of of hours for staff, and and that that begins to have a, a true impact upon uh, people as well as the business and being able to operate. Mm -hmm. uh, but we were willing to go there if, if necessary. And we kind of are, are organized it by thresholds. And I, I'm giving you a little bit more background than you probably were looking for, Mary, but, mm -hmm. but I think it was, it, it was a really good lesson learned for us because you don't necessarily know at the beginning of a crisis how bad it could end up being. And if you're prepared uh, mentally to go there and you have it organized in a, in kind of a trigger format. If we get here, we're gonna we're gonna do this, and if we get here, we're gonna do this. Then you have your countermeasures ready to go. So the the examples that I can give you um, in our in our case, our organization we're we're widespread. So we have ten physical offices uh, within our organization, and so uh, for us to be able to manage day to day, we do a lot of travel. So mm -hmm. all the travel just kind of came to a screeching halt. Um, we have a number of uh, business development staff who spend their time, like in most home care agencies out there, visiting with the referral sources and, you know, uh, building that relationship, which involves sometimes taking them to lunch or bringing them a, a goodie or, uh, you know, the, the kinds of things that we do. Um, and all of that was going to come to a screeching halt. And so there was some natural cost cutting that kind of took place. Um, but in addition, we, we kind of backed off on, on some of our uh, marketing, which actually sounds maybe a little counterintuitive, but we felt like, you know, the the nervousness that was going to take hold of the population and certainly ended up being this way, um, that consumer marketing was not going to be the best investment for us at the moment. So we we chose to back off on some of our SEM uh, spend and, uh, and kind of tighten up a little bit um, on, on that front. Um, we, we also saw uh, just <clears throat> a couple of uh, subscription type uh, services, programs, projects that we were undergoing. We had a couple of positions that we had uh, hired and we, we, uh, we put those off um, 
And so there was some natural cost savings from our budget from that standpoint. Now, in, in our case, uh, the cost savings that we had identified in, in level one uh, was going to be uh, roughly about uh, $30,000 a month. And that would make up for up to 10% drop in our hours uh, when you factor the contribution margin uh, from, from hours and so forth. Uh, and uh, along with our, our kind of natural um, cost savings. Mm-hmm. So for, for us, and, and, and I, I want to put, I want to speak in relative terms because every agency is a different size and has, has different budgets and so forth. So uh, we, we were looking to offset up to 10% drop in our, on our hours uh, from a cost standpoint and be able to maintain ourselves uh, uh, without having to, to, to go into the red, uh, for example, um, on the, on the budget side. And uh, it, it worked. Um, the, the, the next threshold, the level two, which we never got to, um, would have uh, made up for up to a 20% drop and, and level three was a 30% drop. And, um, and at that point we would be, you know, we could create additional levels as, as necessary uh, along the way. But uh, in our case, we, we never did uh, drop below about 8% uh, drop, which is fantastic. And, and I'd love to be able to speak to how I think that that came about. But ultimately, the, the advice that I give myself and that I would share with others is plan early and have mm-hmm. triggering mechanisms. And then and then the key to all of it was communicate it to everyone so that mm-hmm. nobody has to sit around wondering and being distracted by the fear of, oh, my word, what is my organization going to do? But instead, getting it out there completely transparent of, okay, this is what we're going to face. This is the decisions that we're going to make. No one loses their job or gets affected in any way until uh, phase two. So our goal, we're going to stay in phase one. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what we did. We, we accomplished that uh, during the course of uh, our navigating COVID-19. Um, and I'm, I'm proud of the organization for doing that. But I can honestly say that the feedback that we got from our staff about how transparent we were uh, was extremely uh, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Loaded answer, but I love it. Um, <laughs> and fantastic advice about transparency and communication. Those are, you know, simple, but necessary in, in this time. So I want to, you mentioned a couple of ways that you've scaled back and consolidated um, of those, you know, few things that you mentioned, even in just your phase one plan, which of those, you know, methods or, you know, tactics, do you feel like will carry over long-term? You know, you mentioned Mm -hmm. your sales reps aren't out there, you know, visiting face-to-face, you've cut back marketing, just a couple of those things, which have you found, you know, what have been your takeaways and which ones do you think will kind of take with you? Yeah. Uh, I think that uh, the the paradigm shift that I've had um, is around, uh, first of all, travel. Um, You know, we've, like many um, have relied on electronics and, and uh, telecommuting and, um, you know, we've been utilizing Zoom meetings and so forth. And I, I, I've always felt that, man, that's just so impersonal and you need to be able to be in the same location and yada, yada, yada. But at the same time, I got to admit that uh, our, our staff, some of them, you know, uh, uh, are saying, boy, I'm so much more productive. I'm, uh, I think this is the way to go. Um, and as a result, we, we've, cha- we've changed our paradigm to where 
uh, I think our, our travel expense um, is going to be significantly down. And for mm -hmm. me personally, that is very meaningful because, uh, you know, I, I spend a lot of time on the road mm -hmm. and uh, my family has really enjoyed seeing me for the last three months. And that's that's a that's a good thing. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, I think that we will actually never go back to as much travel as we had been doing and instead rely upon the fact that, hey, you know, we, we can still have a relationship and build a relationship uh, communicating over over a camera. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't think that it means that we'll never travel, but uh, that's something that will be probably permanent. The second thing is uh, the, the necessity of real estate. So I spent a half a million dollars a year on, on real estate. Mm -hmm. um, we had, a, like I said, a lot of offices and uh, to house the operations. And I'm thinking about that in a very different way going forward. I'm, I'm looking at, you know, uh, I think we could have more of a remote worker type of a, a setup here. Um, it doesn't work for every position in home care, but it, it does for several. And that means that the footprint that we may need um, could be a smaller office and therefore we could have some real estate savings. Um, and uh, it poses an opportunity for us to maybe increase some productivity. Um, and uh, you know, staff are very eager to know whether or not that that's something that we're going to consider going forward. And, and so we, we've announced that we are, um, and we've developed our, our telecommuting policies and so forth around that. That's going to result in some legitimate savings. Um, I will say, Miriam, that we have gone back to a lot of the marketing spending that, uh, that we had previously planned, because we certainly believe in, in, um, in, in still having uh, an outreach to consumers, especially right now, because the, the, the mind has shifted for uh, folks that are interested in home care. Uh, a lot of individuals have been distracted from maybe going into the uh, congregate living, which has been so badly impacted by, by COVID-19. Mm -hmm. And they're looking for alternatives and becoming more aware of home care. And so I think right now is we, we've, we've actually moved towards doubling down um, on the mm -hmm. marketing front and making sure that we are telling our story and, uh, developing the, the right kinds of relationships and such. So we're actually going to come out of this increasing our spending in the marketing realm uh, rather than maintaining any sort of cuts, uh, uh, which is another lesson learned, I suppose. Yeah, that's fantastic. And diving into maybe more of the day-to-day -day operations and training of your employees, what's been the shift there? You know, you've talked about communication, but what are some of the other maybe training or protocols that you've implemented with your staff yeah. and even directly with the clients themselves? Yeah. So in addition to communicating the, that we were, um, we were going to use this phase one, phase two, phase three kind of an approach, and we communicated the component parts into it. One of the other things that we did, I, I, I feel a really good job with is that we also communicated a lot more education on actually the back end of the business how it actually functions and helping uh, every position understand that if they in, engage with the activities that they can, how they can make an impact. And we, we, we didn't just say, Hey, you know, there's this magic that's happening behind the curtain and, you know, don't worry. We've, we're, we've got all the decision-making power. Mm -hmm. um, instead, we, we decided to go very grassroots and uh, did a ton of education on how the budget operates and how, how overall the financial, uh, the flow of, of when you sell an hour, how much goes into the cost of, of uh, uh, providing that care um, or the field labor cost. 
and then what are the administrative costs um, and how those are calculated and then what's the uh, ultimate margin at the end. And we, we educated everyone very carefully, very specifically, and then um, came up with ideas, uh, not just the executive team, but uh, we grassroots sourced ideas from everyone in the organization on what is it that I, if I'm a scheduler, what can I do? If I'm um, what we call client care supervisors, what can I do? If I'm in business development, what can I do? If I'm in accounting, what can I do? Everyone had an idea of how they could uh, contribute to the overall solution. And we communicated those ideas literally on a daily basis. I put out a, a daily update every single day and here's the metrics here's what's on the schedule um and uh here's some good news i felt like that that was an incredibly mm -hmm. important component for our overall morale uh, there's so much negative news out there about everything during this whole time and so i said here's good news so i shared every little victory i could possibly get my hands on of, of every good thing that was happening in any location and mm -hmm. then we had ideas uh of what we can do. We call it grassroots ideas. And uh, it was simple ways to be able to move the needle and uh, ways that people can engage within their roles um, in order to be able to make it, make it rain. And um, we, we, we saw from the beginning of the crisis, which was the end of February, down to our low, which was four weeks later, um, that was the week of March, ending March 28th. I'm looking at my data point that we actually put together for tracking during this entire time. Mm -hmm. And uh, since that day, we have been growing and growing every single week without fail um, on stop wow. ever since. Wow. And where we're now 17% over where we entered COVID-19 as a company. And uh, we're talking 3,000 hours a week. It's, it's significant. Uh, the, the kind of change that we've seen as an organization um, and uh, the, the kind of ownership and the kind of empowerment that has resulted is something that will be sustained beyond uh, COVID-19. Definitely. Wow. Great response. Um, you're headed in that direction. I want to talk about metrics and data. You mentioned it a couple of times on that last point. Hmm. What, you know, additionally, what have you been tracking during this time, but what have you found to be, you know, the most important metrics you know, baby before and how has that shifted as we've gone through this crisis? Oh boy, howdy. Um, I, I actually used to think of myself as a bit of a data geek and uh, <laughs> that I would track a lot of uh, key, key performance indicators and such. COVID-19 changed my paradigm there too. Um, okay. I started, like I mentioned, putting out a daily update that would show here's how, you know, we we were yesterday, here's where we are against the goal, here's where we are against where we entered this crisis, and you know, just really had a, a strong comparison with a lot of percentages and so forth that, that was uh, easy to digest for folks, a quick snapshot every single day. Um, and I would, I, I have this huge spreadsheet in front of me that, uh, that I used during the COVID-19 uh, crisis and then have since continued using, but no more on a weekly basis. I was using this on a daily basis and I was mm -hmm. tracking every hour I was tracking uh, every client. I was tracking every caregiver. I was uh, tracking who was on leave, uh, which clients had canceled, um, what hours that represented, how many shifts that represented. And then as we started to recover, I started tracking um, 
things like hours per visit, hours per caregiver, hours per client, based on the actual schedule, not, not who's actively employed, but who's actually on the schedule. Um, I attract uh, the number of leads that we had come in or referrals, um, and then the number of starts of care or admissions. And um, as I trended that data over uh, on a daily basis over a long period of time, patterns started to emerge. And we were able to become much more responsive to the ideas that were actually working uh, because I could see it happening in one office. I could call and talk with that office and say, okay, what, what's been going on this week? What, and what do you attribute that to? And they would share. And then we would share that information with the whole organization. And then as that was implemented, it became a snowball effect. Um, every good thing ended up being replicated. And everyone was hungry to be able to hear those good things. And mm -hmm. so it got, it, it got implemented very quickly. And as a result, our organization turned around very quickly. Um, and that's, that's, that's honestly, I feel like uh, that's because I kept my eye on the data um, mm -hmm. of just looking at it every single day. And it's even color-coded, you know, with the mm -hmm. conditional formatting in Excel mm -hmm. to be able to show, you know, really pop out those uh, outliers and help me understand, okay, what's what's going on in the organization? And then ever since, we've been doing a lot of reflection on, okay, what did we learn from this? And, and um, what what does this represent to us? And how are we going to manage the business differently going forward? And uh, it's honestly a, a new day. It's a new normal, as, uh, as people sometimes call it. Mm -hmm. And just to clarify for our audience, that is just an Excel spreadsheet that you've created. Yeah. It's not, you know, in your scheduling software or hosted anywhere, correct? No, I certainly the data comes out of my uh, access care, which is what we use. Um, but, uh, but to be able to manipulate it and, and to be able to trend it, um, I've been utilizing some of our own little, little reports. Cool. Cool. Very cool. Well, yeah, moving on to the next topic, how do you think the referral landscape is changing now and looking ahead? Yeah, I love the question. Um, we have been carefully tracking that because uh, especially my CMO is, is interested to know, all right, how does this change our overall strategy? Um, the days of home care being seen as a commodity and hey, whoever brought me a box of donuts last is going to get my next referral, um, which is just a, a reality of, of some of our industry. And I, I don't think that that's 100% change, so I don't want to necessarily mislead anybody listening. Um, but I would say that the evolution that we have been seeing slowly uh, enter our industry over the past, especially five years, where the conversations are a little more high level, they're a little more strategic, um, we, we, I think COVID-19 pushed us down that road by a good three years. So it was like this massive mm -hmm. nitro boost on that, mm -hmm. on that racetrack. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that, uh, it, it, it's changing the kind of conversation that we have the opportunity to have with our traditional referral sources. Um, uh, for example, the, uh, hospitals, uh, have uh, really taken a beating during this time, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. they felt the liability bug uh, big time. Um, having having felt like, okay, uh, I don't want to necessarily discharge my patient to a skilled nursing facility that happens to be on lockdown, mm -hmm. and uh, where there's been um, a real uh, 
localized outbreak, uh, what are my options? Mm -hmm. And we've seen a, a nice surge of home as the alternative location of care uh, that has accompanied an increase in acuity mm -hmm. um, for, for the care that's being provided. And mm -hmm. uh, that means to me that we have to be prepared for the increase in acuity and be able to talk uh, more clinically because I, I hate the fact that our industry still says, oh, we're non-medical. We're non-skilled, and you, know, mm -hmm. you, you tell any of these CNAs that they're uh, non-skilled and non-medical, they, they, they will be offended. Yeah. And I, I recognize that there is a scope of or a limitation to what it is that we can do, but what we do do is very much medical and clinical mm -hmm. in nature, and uh, the general public certainly sees it that way. And so if we embrace that as our message and talk to the value proposition, um, we're getting listened to in a different way. And uh, I think that that can continue as long as we really grab a hold of that narrative and run with it. And I'm not trying to throw our brethren of the skilled nursing facilities or the assisted living facilities under the bus here because they are continuing to be a huge component of our referral uh, partners. But the, even the conversation with them can be different and uh, they can see us as more of a solution than maybe they have in the past as being just, oh, well, you're going to go in there and help them bathe and clean their house mm -hmm. um, we're less less of a commodity now and uh, I think that changes the conversation it also changes the conversation from a consumer standpoint uh, I think consumers are a little more sensitive about sending sending mom into a, a, a congregate facility now because that's where all the bad press has been I don't know honestly Miriam I don't think that that will last I think that uh, we have an increased sensitivity that is significant today, but ultimately COVID-19 will become a memory and folks will get back into some patterns. Um, so I like the idea of seizing the moment and increasing awareness mm -hmm. um, and increasing maybe planning amongst families that are saying, hey, you know, 70% of us are going to require long-term care. Where do I want to consume that care? And let's pre be prepared for that. And so trying to get out there and communicate that to the community, I think is a good play for the long term. Definitely. Yeah, great response. And you're exactly right. Just bringing awareness to our importance and vitality in the continuum. You know, we talk a lot about the continuum of care and yeah. home care is really making its stance at this time and just bringing awareness to who we are and what we do is so important. So I appreciate that. To kind of wrap up the conversation, I want to hear, you know, from a personal and professional level, looking ahead for the industry, what would be your biggest concern or fear? And then to counter that, what would be maybe your biggest hope or anticipation for the industry? Hmm. Yeah. Um, my, honestly, my biggest fear right now is, is that we have another resurgence in the, in the fall. You know, there, mm -hmm. there's a lot of models that are, that are going around now right now. Um, because I can't deny that uh, it, it, it did have an impact upon, upon business. And uh, it was, to sound a little selfish, it was distracting from where what we wanted to be focused in on. Um, mm -hmm. That being said, I do believe that we've come out stronger than we went in and that those are the lessons, those lessons are gonna carry us forward and, and pay huge dividends in the future. Uh, but I, I really, I don't want us to face this again. I don't want to shut down our economy. I don't want to have to um, uh, cope with that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I fear the 
some of the crowd mentality that accompanies that. And, and to get really specific, you know, like toilet paper. I mean, why, why, why in the world did, why was there a rush on toilet paper? That it, it was mm-hmm. a self-inflicted wound. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering, okay, are we going to have more self-inflicted wounds that uh, really make life potentially difficult um, mm-hmm. for an agency like ours to, to exist? And, you know, could we get a little more extreme and say, hey, nobody gets to go anywhere? Um, uh, that, that would really hamper our ability to provide care. Um, I also fear, we didn't have it, thank heavens, but uh, uh, I fear that if there's a transmission of COVID-19 to a client or uh, from a client to a caregiver, um, you know, that, that, is, that, is, that would be just a nightmare scenario. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I worry about that for sure. Um, but I, I, I do remain largely optimistic though. I think that, uh, as you pointed out, it's 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 a different time, and that home care as an industry, especially as the uh, association, we are really seizing the moment mm-hmm. to help people understand our value prop uh, within the healthcare continuum and how we can impact things like the social determinants of health. and And folks are listening, and we we need to take advantage of this moment for that. And so I'm more optimistic than I am pessimistic for sure. Uh, but my hope is, is that we don't let our guard down and that we do get ourselves involved in mm-hmm. being part of that voice. And if, if you're a small agency in a, in a small community and saying, well, I, I'm not going to have an impact on the national scene, I think that that's the wrong thinking. I think, that, uh, I think that you can say, well, I can do some community-based presentations or press release to the local newspaper or television station or whatever and do some education, do some I'll call it uh, public interest stories about what, how home care really made an impact upon uh, individuals to be able to stay safe in their own home on a, mm-hmm. on, a, on a reflection basis about the crisis. And, and I think that those kinds of stories can get some traction and you can do education within your own community and with community organizations or churches or whatever. And people are going to listen in a different way because folks became aware that, hey, there's a vulnerable population in our elderly and boy, one day I'm going to be there. And so I, I need to pay attention to this. I need to not ignore it. And, and if we don't grab the mic and start speaking, then even if people are ready to listen, there's nothing to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that would be my greatest hope that we, we do grab this moment and we take advantage of the opportunity to be able to educate it to the goodness that is home care. Fantastic. Jeff, thank you so much. I appreciate your words. And I know our audience does as well for instilling that hope moving forward. You know, we've all got to remain optimistic and, you know, really hold on to our hopes and anticipations for the industry. So thank you so much for taking the time today. We appreciate it. And on behalf of Home Care Pulse, you know, we're grateful for your friendship and your partnership. And we wish you and your team all the best moving forward. And I will thank you, Miriam. I really appreciate it. I love what you uh, stand for and what you do to help support the industry.